Thank you for joining us today on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our series, Rhythms of Grace. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Church family. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Hopefully you brought them. Mark chapter one, we're gonna be there in just a little while, Mark chapter one. As you're turning there, I do wanna just add my exclamation point. Moms, I hope you feel honored today. We love you. I would be remiss if I didn't shout out my wife, Candace, who's in this service with our four kids uh, and my mother-in-law, Rena, and just super grateful for the moms in our lives. My mom will be sitting right over there at the 1030 service. I will honor her then. And we just love you moms. I hope if you missed the announcement, you get a bunk cake today and enjoy it for the glory of God because those things are amazing. So get yourself one as you leave, feel honored, and uh, we love you. Mark chapter one, Mark chapter one. There's a rather new phenomenon that a lot of people are talking about. It's not an actual sickness per se. It's not an actual uh, medical diagnosis, but it has been coined a sickness in our world. And I'm just gonna go on a limb and say, I actually think every single person in the room either has suffered from this sickness or is currently suffering from this sickness. Let me put it on the screen and see if you agree. It's called hurry sickness. It was actually coined by the phrase, hurry sickness was coined by a cardiologist. I did some research this week and this cardiologist he was seeing patient after patient after patient of people that were having heart issues because of their drive, their efficiency, their, their constant pursuit of that ever elusive more. And he would see these people having physical effects on their lives and he said to them, you, you have a hurry sickness in your life. And this idea, whether it's Christian or secular psychologists or mental health professionals, it's actually starting to gain steam and people are trying to sound the alarm like, hey, it might've started as a funny quip, but it's real. There's serious effects that are happening in our lives because of hurry. So I, I wanna do a little diagnostic test with us this Mother's Day weekend to see if we are in fact with this sickness today. I wanna give us a quick diagnosis and just let you know, I, I failed this miserably. So I'm gonna put myself out there you will probably fail miserably like I did. Let me ask you a few questions and you can see if you have hurry sickness. Here's the first question. Do you treat everything in life like a race? Some of you are like, I don't think so. Let me, let me have an imagination with you for a minute and think of you at Smith's or maybe Trader Joe's or wherever you like to shop and you got your cart full of groceries and you start making your way to the checkout line. Do you start looking at the checkout line to see the shortest possible angle you might be treating life like a race. I like go to self-checkout always because I don't want to have to wait on another human. I only want to wait on me. And how many of you get to the self-checkout and something happens and it says attendant is on the way and part of you just dies for a minute. Like, I don't want to wait. <laughs> treating life like a race. How many of you are driving on that God-forsaken street in our city called Eastern Avenue? And as you're approaching the stoplight, you try to find the stoplight with the least amount of cars. Why? Because you got places to be, people. You're not trying to wait on other people's cars. We're treating life like a race. Another question before we continue, just to make sure we're all on the same page here. How many of you absolutely hate any sort of delay in your life whatsoever? Amen. 
Maybe today you went to Starbucks or your favorite coffee shop and you went to get in line because you forgot to actually do the pickup order and you always do the pickup order, but you were so hurried this morning, you didn't do the pickup order, so you actually have to stand in a line and you're in front of or you're behind a couple people who you don't think have ever been to Starbucks in their lives. And you're getting frustrated because they're approaching the thing and they're looking at the menu like, who doesn't know what they want at Starbucks in 2023? And then they order and they say, yeah, can I please get a medium coffee? And you're thinking, medium coffee? There's no such thing as Starbucks. Who are you? It's called a grande and you're in my way. And then you finally order your double shot caramel macchiato and you're waiting for it to be made and you start to look over and you're wondering, is this barista new? Why is this barista taking so long to make my order? I get this same drink every single day and I know it takes about one minute and 37 seconds to make the drink and they still are trying to figure out how to do a double shot of espresso. What is going on here? I think we can relate. Or just one more because it's Mother's Day and she's in the room. If you're hypothetically, of course, waiting for your wife because she said she'd be ready in five minutes. And here you are sitting in the minivan and it has been exactly eight minutes and 37 seconds, 38 seconds, 39 seconds. Hurry. Maybe we all have this hurry sickness. And I know we're having a lot of fun with it this morning, but I want to submit to you as we begin. This, this hurry sickness actually isn't so innocent when we really think of how it affects our lives. In fact, this hurry sickness is subtly subverting your spiritual growth. And I wanna take some time today to try to convince us of that through the word of God. Before we get there to Mark chapter one, there's a story I heard several years ago about a pastor named John. And John, you have to know, is this mega church pastor. In fact, he's one of the pastors at the greatest, biggest mega church in the United States of America at the time. He's got all the platform. He's got all the quote unquote success, the book deals, the Twitter followers. He's got it all. And yet his testimony was he was drowning in his spiritual life. So he called up a mentor of his that we introduced to you last week, a man who's now in heaven, who contributed great things to the kingdom of God in this area of spiritual growth, a man named Dallas Willard. And this man, John, was being mentored by Dallas Willard. And he called Dallas because he was drowning in his spiritual growth. He felt like he was stuck. And he asked Dallas Willard this question that maybe some of you can resonate with as well. He asked Dallas, he said, Dallas, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? I got all the things that people say should make me happy, but I'm not. What do I need to do to become the me I want to be? He tells this story that there's this long silence on the other end of the line. And then this iconic line from Dallas Willard. Here's what he said. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I can imagine John writing that down because that's, that's an amazing line. That's a zinger. Okay, I, I got it. Get rid of hurry. Got it. Step number one. What else, Dallas? I got that. What else? And he says exactly that. He said, great. What else? And he tells the story, there's this long silence on the other end of the line again. And then look at what Dallas Willard responds with. He said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from 
your life. I believe we're going to see why that is true. I actually want to give us as I thought about this, I thought, I didn't do this on Thursday, but I thought about maybe you're not quite on board yet. Like, why does this matter? Maybe you don't feel the hurry. So I, I thought of a few examples. I literally drove home from Thursday's service, and before I went in my house, I was sitting outside of my house in my truck, and I was just texting myself some, some thoughts about why this really, really matters for us to get. And I'll give you a few reasons from my own life that maybe you can relate to. Here's the first one. When you're hurried, it's hard to hear God. Some of you have felt that. Here's another one. When you're distracted, it's hard to do what he says. When you're hurried, it's hard to hear God. When you're distracted, it's hard to do what he says. Here's a third one. When you're frantic, it's hard to fight sin. And then lastly, when your time is always occupied, it's hard to abide. I, I looked at that quick text to myself and I thought, man, I felt that. And maybe right now you feel that. You would maybe not call it hurry sickness, but that is where you feel right now. It's hard to hear from God because I'm always going. It's hard to do what he says because I'm always distracted. It's hard to fight sin because I'm always frantic and, and my time is so occupied, it makes it hard for me to abide in Christ. And so if you're here today and you would say, I have that societal sickness, the question we have to wrestle with is, is there a way out? Is there a practice from the life of Jesus that in the midst of all this hurry and noise and franticness and distraction, we can slow down, sit still, and pause long enough to engage with God on a real and meaningful level? And I'm here to tell you, yes. We're going to see in just a moment that there is, in fact, a way you and I can be rebels in this culture and grow spiritually. Last week we started a series, I, I hope you are here, I can't encourage you enough if you were not here to go online and listen to our beginning message from this series, Rhythms of Grace, practicing the way of Jesus in everyday life. We, we shattered it out this week, but we, we made a resource page available, uh, hopechurchlv.com slash rhythms. This is not just a thing. We want you to come and hear some good sermons and, and then leave. We want to be resourced throughout the week, resource to actually make this stuff we practice in our everyday lives. This is not just a six-week series and then we wrap it up. What if this six-week series became actually a part of our everyday walks with Jesus? And so this series... I mentioned last week, and you can go online and listen to the whole thing, but I'll give you just a snippet of, uh, of recap. It's really born out of my own spiritual journey that I've already talked to many of you, you can relate with, that I felt stuck in my spiritual life. I felt stuck in my growth as a follower of Jesus. I said it this way, something about the way I was following Jesus was not producing the level of transformation that I knew was possible. Some of you feel that as well. Something about how it's going right now is not producing the level of spiritual maturity or the level of transformation that you thought was possible. And it's not only that I thought was possible, it's what Jesus actually promised us. Again, go back online and listen, but we looked at Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus is talking to his disciples and to us. And he says to, to come to him, all of us who are weary and heavy laden and trying to figure life out but feeling like it's too much. He says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And we taught in the first century for teachers to talk about their yoke. It was actually them saying their way of life, their way of living. Jesus says, take on my way of living because it's easy. 
We said this as a foundational principle for the series. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Again, we unpacked that in great detail last week. But I just want to remind you, this is all out of the overflow of us abiding in Christ. We can do nothing apart from abiding in Christ. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But in his grace and in his power, he's put his spirit in us. And we are to pursue godliness out of his strength. The way that 1 Timothy put it is we are to train for godliness. And one of the ways we believe we train is by practicing rhythms of grace. You may be thinking, okay, I'm on board. What on earth is a rhythm of grace? Let me give you a helpful definition that we'll be using throughout the rest of our series. Rhythms of grace are habits or practices based on the life and teaching of Jesus that create time and space for Jesus followers to be transformed by God. Remind you, we said the rhythms, the practices are not the goal. The goal is more of God. The goal is more growth in Christ, but rhythms and practices and habits create time and space to be able to experience life change through Jesus, to be able to experience all that he has for us. So we're going to take five weeks, and really what we're doing is we're teaching how to live out 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, here's what it says. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Rhythms of grace are by the power of the Spirit in us saying, let's walk in the ways he walked that allow us to better abide in him. So today, we explore our first rhythm of grace, our first practice from the life of Jesus that I really believe if we actually put it into practice in our everyday lives, we will be transformed. Here is the practice for today. Prayer in silence and solitude. Now, even as those words go on the screen, Depending on your background, religious experience, time in church, you might have a lot of thoughts on those words. Prayer in silence and solitude. Make sure we're all on the same page. Want to give us our big idea. Where are we headed in the next 25 minutes? Here's where we're headed. We'll give it to you in a sermon and a sentence. By praying in silence and solitude, we take intentional time in the quiet to be alone with God. This is important for us. We just talked about how frantic and hurried and busy our lives are. So what if this practice really is simple but groundbreaking in our lives? Praying in silence and solitude, we take intentional time and the quiet to be alone with God. To unpack this for just a moment, we're going to look to Jesus. We're going to look to our Savior as he modeled for us what this looks like. Before we get to chapter or verse 35 of chapter 1, many of you know we're studying verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. As soon as we're done with our Rhythms of Grace series, we'll be back in that study verse by verse, jumping into chapter 6. But last year, around this time, we actually began our study and we studied Mark chapter 1. But I want to give us some context because I'm not sure all of us remember every single thing that's already happened in the first 34 verses. So if you haven't, here's what's going on in the gospel of Mark before we get to verse 35. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has really been living in obscurity for about 30 years. 
And Gospel of Mark opens up with him coming out into the world. He is kind of beginning his public ministry after 30 years of obscurity, and it happens when John the Baptist baptizes him. It's this epic event at the Jordan River. And in this moment, if, if Jesus were me, or if I should say if I was Jesus, I would make a very big deal out of this moment. I mean, come on, Jesus, let's capitalize on this. You were just baptized. People are asking who this man is. This is a moment. Let's do a, a press tour and let's do all the media and let's make sure we can up your follower game. Like this is a moment to capitalize on this, Jesus. Of course, if you know the story, Jesus does the exact opposite of what we would probably do. See, Jesus doesn't go out towards the crowd to build an audience. Jesus goes to the desert to be with God. For 40 days, soon as this event happens, he goes to the desolate place or to the wilderness. For 40 days, he's tempted by the enemy. He's present constantly with the Father and the Spirit. And then he comes back out into the world after 40 days. And you can read it in the first chapter of Mark. Starts doing amazing things. Incredible ministry, calls the disciples, healing people, teaching all incredible things. And then we see what we see in verse 35. Look at Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Out of this verse, I have one point for us together this morning. One point. Don't get too excited. There's a couple sub points, but one big main point, okay? Here's the main point for our time together today. Jesus had a practice of withdrawing often. As you read the Gospels, Jesus had a practice of withdrawing often. Look back at the verse. While it was very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. We see this happen all over Jesus' life. In fact, the verb tenses in these verses show this is not just a one-time thing. This is a pattern of his life. But not just the grammar in this sentence, but the other Gospels. All throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read it carefully, you'll see he'll do ministry and then he goes away to the desert. He'll do amazing things and then he retreats. We see him often withdrawing from crowds and noise and even ministry. That'll ruffle some feathers. He leaves good, awesome, right ministry and actually leaves people where they are to go be in silence and solitude. Before choosing the 12 disciples in Luke chapter 6, he retreats to silence and solitude. After performing miracles in Matthew chapter 14, he withdraws to silence and solitude. Before teaching us how to pray in Luke chapter 11, he slips away in silence and solitude. And eight other times in the gospel of Luke, Jesus retreats to silence and solitude. And most of the time, most of the time we read that, including in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus goes to a place in the Greek that has a really cool name. It's the, it's the name Aramos. Everyone say Aramos out loud. Aramos. That's the Greek word that we get desolate place. It's translated a bunch of different ways, but it's this idea of the silence and solitude, the Aramos. Sometimes it's translated wilderness. Sometimes it's translated desert. Sometimes it's translated quiet place, but it is very clear in Jesus's life, he often had a practice of withdrawing. He had a practice of withdrawing often. So why did he? 
That's what I want to ask and answer. Why did Jesus withdraw often to the Aramos? Here is the first reason I think we see. Jesus withdrew from people. Jesus withdrew from people. Give you a little bit behind the scenes to our sermon prep. When I originally was mapping out this message, studying, praying, writing, I'd actually typed on my computer for the point here, Jesus withdrew to be alone. And I praise God for praying in the spirit while we're, while we're studying scripture because I was asking the Lord, is that the right thing? And in that moment, I felt the Lord tell me, no, Jesus did not withdraw to be alone. Some of you are picking up what I'm putting down. I realized in that moment that Jesus was definitely away with people, away from people, but Jesus Christ was never alone. See, Jesus was always in constant fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. There was never a moment where Jesus Christ was alone. Now, he was withdrawn from people, but he was not alone. And I was just encouraged. There was, I was studying this passage in the office across the courtyard. And I hope some of you are encouraged because some of you right now, as a follower of Jesus, you're like, man, I feel alone. Be encouraged, follower of Jesus. You are never alone. There is not one moment, and some of you just need to remind yourselves of this, even how far and distant God may feel. If you are a follower of Jesus, because of what he did for you on the cross, because he redeemed you back to himself, because he entered into a relationship with little old you, no matter how alone you may feel, you are never alone because the spirit of God lives inside of you. And some of you just need to be encouraged today. You can withdraw from people, but you can never, ever again in the history of your life be alone. You are always in fellowship. You are always present. Amen. But we see in Jesus's life, he often withdrew from people. We as followers of Jesus should have a practice of withdrawing from people in solitude. That's a loaded word in a group this size, a room full of people like this. A lot of things come to mind when you think of solitudes for the purposes of us being on the same page what is solitude? I'll give you a definition. Solitude is intentional retreat for the purpose of experiencing the presence of God. Every word in that definition is important. It's intentional retreat. How many of you guys know, unless you're intentional, it ain't gonna happen. It's intentional retreat. It is retreat from people to be alone with God. And it's a place that helps us experience his presence. What I want us to see is that you don't have to go to a mountain or a monastery to be in solitude. See, a lot of us think that's what you gotta do. And listen, there may be an amazing time for that. You may have the opportunity to do that, but this series is about practicing the, the, practicing the way of Jesus in everyday life. I believe there's a way for you and I to practice solitude in our everyday lives, no matter how busy your life may be. So I'll try to give you kind of a glimpse into my own journey throughout this message. What does solitude look like in my life? Well, here's what it looks like right now. For me, it looks like waking up way earlier than I want that alarm clock to go off. <laughs> right now, it looks like the same chair in the same living room of my house every single morning. Say, so why do you have to get up so early? Well, there's four reasons I have in my house that would not be very silence and solitude if I did not get up before they got up. Love my kids, but I'm not having any silence and solitude in my life if I do not get up before they wake up. And so for me, it means getting up early, sitting in that same chair, sitting in that moment, 
engaging with God, being with God. And I intentionally use the words engaging with God because I want us to see we're not talking about escaping anything. This is an important distinction of solitude. It'll be on the screen. In solitude, we are not trying to escape. We are seeking to engage. And this is really, really important because we live in a world that will give you 101 ways or a million and one ways to try to escape. You got busyness in your life, little chaos in your life, the pitfalls and problems that are befalling all of us. The world we live in, you don't have to be spiritual to try to find some ways to escape to try to get out of those things. And I just want to just be honest. There's no point in not being honest before our church family. Let's just call some of those out. (laughs) There are some of you here today that at the end of the day, you escape or try to by watching way too much Netflix (laughs) or your prescription or or your subscription of choice. You are watching. It is no longer just watching one or two shows. It's a full-on addiction. You are trying to escape your reality by looking at other people's fantasy. Others of you, just be honest. Some of you try to escape by having a few too many beers at the end of a week or a few too many bowls of ice cream. Or for some of you, a little more subtle, you just mindlessly scroll Instagram or Facebook, hoping that in your scrolling, you might escape what's actually happening in your real life. And some of you are here today saying, Yeah, it ain't working. This is not what we're talking about with solitude. Solitude is not escapism. It is engagement with God. It's the eremos. It's the place where you're away from people and present to God. And I don't want to sit here today and romanticize this. This can be very difficult Some of you are getting anxiety thinking about what it would really be like to be alone with God with no distractions. It can be scary. I love how author Adele Calhoun said it. When she was talking about silence and solitude, she said this, the world of recognition, achievement, and applause disappears, and we stand squarely before God without props. And I might be the only one, but I love my props. I love my masks. I love my walk through church and people say, how you doing? And my whole world's falling apart. But I say, great, brother, how are you? No masks, no pretense, no fronts. When you're seriously silent and, and alone with God, you are who you are. That's why Donald Whitney, a theologian, said it just like that. He said, what we are when we're alone with God is what we really are. No pretense, no faking it, just you and the God who knows everything about you. And as scary as that might be, what I want us to see is that is actually the greatest place we can be with God. That's a very vulnerable place where God can meet you where you actually are, not who you're projecting that you are. Only God who knows everything about us can meet us in that moment and change us. How often, Hope Church family, Are you alone with God? Is there a practice in your life where you intentionally carve out time to be alone with God? This is how we train for godliness. This is how we grow. And some of you, you're thinking, no way. (laughs) If you looked at my calendar right now, there's just not a chance. My life is too busy. My house is too crazy. And if you're thinking that right now in the spirit of Mother's Day, I want to encourage you with an incredible woman named Susanna Wesley. 
Some of you have recognized that name. She had 11 children. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> Two of them are actually pretty famous, John and Charles Wesley. But the story goes, the legendary story goes that when Susanna was there homeschooling her kids, living the life on the farm, her life was so chaotic that she had a practice of how to get away with God. The story goes in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the chaos and craziness, she would simply take her apron and she would put her apron over her head. And it was a sign to everyone in the household, do not disturb, mama is with God. The story goes, at any time that happened, everyone said, whoop, <laughs> mama's out of business. Why? Because she is getting, she's stealing some time away to be with God. I specifically want to shout out, I'm looking around the room and I know some of you, just shout out you young moms. Man, I know the, the baby toddler stage of motherhood is gnarly. <laughs> I remember when we were in that stage, my wife would sometimes be in tears because she would say, there's literally not a moment in my life where I am alone. Even when I go to the bathroom to be alone, there's little hands and feet going underneath the bathroom door. I'm never alone. In that moment, young moms, be a Susanna Wesley. Figure out moments to steal away glimpses and moments with your God. But for all of us, what are the moments in our lives, no matter who you are, where we're pulling the apron of our lives over our heads as a way to tell the world, do not disturb. I am with my God. This is intentionally seeing solitude as a way of growth in Christ, solitude as a way of getting away with God. It's you finding your eremos. See, but it's not just about getting away from people. This isn't just a practice of solitude. It's also a practice of silence. I love what missionary Jim Elliott said about silence. He said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. I want us to think about our lives. When in your life is there absolute silence? Some of you know it's not just silence out there. It's also silence in here. Again, I want to just kind of share my journey with you. As I was walking this out a couple years ago and God was really dealing with me, I, I realized something. I realized there was literally zero moments of silence in my life. Zero. Maybe some of you are feeling that right now, but there was no silence of any kind in my life. I know this is gonna be a shocker to everyone in the room, but I like to talk a lot. So if I wasn't talking, which was a lot, I was consuming things. I was listening to podcasts or music. I love podcasts. I love music. And so I'm constantly consuming and I'm just gonna put myself out there. I so loved consuming and inputting things in my life like podcasts and music that I actually went and I bought a, on Amazon a, a Bluetooth speaker that's waterproof that can go in my shower. So even in the shower, I was consuming content. Some of you are thinking, is that bad? I do the same thing. <laughs> I don't know for you, but for me, it contributed to the fact that there was zero silence in my life. Even in my time with God. Again, you just gotta hear my heart. This is for me. This is where God was leading me. But in my time with God, I always had my AirPods in and I was always listening to some instrumental music. There was always something external 
some noise, some music, something external. As I really started to wrestle with God through these things, I'm just going to be honest. I think subconsciously, I filled my life with external noise. Because if I'm distracted by the noise on the outside, I won't have to deal with the noise going on on the inside. I'm just telling you, a couple years removed, I've been dealing with some noise on the inside. But back then, I I self-medicated with anything but external silence so that I could ignore the internal noise. But here's what I learned, and I hope some of you are learning or have learned as well. What if that's exactly what God is after? What if it's actually what God is after to to see and to, 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 to get out of you that stuff, that internal noise that is inside? What if God wants to deal with it? I'll say it this way because some of you need to hear it. What we are wanting to drown out, God is desiring to draw out. And some of you need some stuff drawn out. I'll try to illustrate it by using this jar. This is Micah Ogle. Give it up for Micah Ogle, our production director. This is not Gatorade. This is not pickle juice. For just the purposes of this illustration, I want you to see this as your life. And you'll see over the next few minutes, I'm intentionally not ever going to stop moving this thing because that's exactly what your lives look like and my life looked like. We never stop moving. We already talked about the hurry sickness. We are constantly going, constantly moving, never, ever settling. And if we're honest, it's so hard to hear God this way. It's so hard to, even in these moments, some of you, and I'm not calling you out because I do it too, some of you having to be able to sit through a message without checking your phone or without doing something on your phone to get more efficient for the days to come in the week. I get it. This is us right here. We're constantly going. I love how Henry Nouwen said it. Henry Nouwen said this, we are usually surrounded by so much inner and outer noise that it is hard to truly hear our God when he is speaking to us. Some of you actually didn't even hear that quote because you're so distracted by what's happening with me in this jar that is your life. I feel you. Amazing story in 1 Kings chapter 19. Go read it later. The prophet Elijah is trying to seek and hear from God. And God is not speaking through all this craziness. Go read the story. There's a bunch of things that are loud and noisy that happen. And some of you know how the story ends. It says in 1 Kings chapter 19 that when God finally speaks, he doesn't speak in the chaos. He speaks in a still, small voice, a gentle whisper. As I thought about my life looking like this, I thought, man, if God were to speak to me in that same still, small voice, With what's going on in my world, would I even be able to hear him? Some of you feel that. So I want to encourage all of us to do what Psalm 46 says to do. God tells each and every one of us, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Church family, when are there moments in your life where you are still? for real, silent, alone with God. God had me on this journey. I stopped listening to things while I was spending time with God. I was like, okay, God, this is gonna be weird, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be here, present, nothing, no input. So now like this morning, I sat in that same chair, 
but I heard the, the hum of the fan above me in our living room. And I heard the sound of the birds chirping outside, waking up. And I heard those weird sounds that are all of our houses make that when I was listening to things all the time, I didn't realize my house makes noise because I'm in the silence. It's me and Jesus, and Jesus is dealing with that internal noise in me that can be so deafening but needs to be dealt with. I love Henry now, and it won't be on the screen. He, he shares what happens in silence and solitude. Look at what it says. He said, I get rid of my scaffolding, no friends to talk with, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract, just me. Naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, and broken. This is the wisdom of the Aramos. See, it reveals in me. It reveals in us the stuff that's really going on. See, when I'm practicing silence and solitude, what happens is it creates time and space. Again, remember, that's not the goal. The goal is not just to be alone and quiet. The goal of silence and solitude is to, to create time and space where the junk in my life can rise to the surface. And this is what's happened in my life, and maybe some of you have practiced this. This, this is what happens. The junk rises to the surface, and then what do I do with this? I take this to my God who is good and holy and calls me redeemed, and I turn this stuff right here into a conversation with him. He's, he's allowed me to see it. He's brought those things to my attention. He's drawn that out, and now by his grace, I turn this into a conversation with God because it's not just silence and it's not just solitude. It's prayer in silence and solitude. The point is not to be silent and be away from people. The point is to be with God. That's why David Mathis said getting away, getting quiet and alone is no special grace on its own. The goal is to create a context for enhancing our hearing from God and responding back to him in prayer. See, Jesus didn't just withdraw from people. Jesus withdrew to pray. Jesus withdrew to pray. Look at it there again in verse 35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Prayer. So simple, but let's just be honest, so elusive. Everyone in the room knows they should pray. If you're a follower of Jesus, prayer, it's like on the list, like do it. Let me ask you a question. How many people in the room, raise your hand if you agree, desire to have a better prayer life? Raise your hand. Every person in the room. So get this. We know we need to. We just said we want to. Then why don't we? So simple, but so elusive. We, we know we need to. We, we just said we want to, but then why don't we cultivate better prayer? One of the reasons, hear this, I believe we don't have that in our lives is because there's not a context for it to really thrive. We're trying to just pray in these crazy chaotic seasons and life less or light, life mess and all the things that we're walking through. What if silence and solitude could be a practice in your everyday life that'll allow prayer that you desire and you want to become more real? Don't hear me, you don't need silence and solitude to pray. 
Because of the blood of Jesus, you have access to the throne of grace at every single moment. Thank God for the shotgun prayers where I'm walking into a mess and I say, help me, Jesus. We all have those moments. But if my whole prayer life is a bunch of shotgun prayers, it's probably not very deep. So the context for this rich, deep, abiding prayer life that I want, how do I create time and space for that? Maybe for you, it's silence and solitude. I love how Paul Miller said it. He said, you don't create intimacy, you make room for it. We don't create intimacy, we make room for it. And one of the ways we make room for it, silence and solitude. Church, I believe perhaps more than any other time in history, we need to train ourselves by the power of the Spirit for silence and solitude. And I believe by praying in silence and solitude, we take intentional time in the quiet to be alone with God. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, okay, I got it. I want to do it. How do I start? <laughs> Little intimidated, how do I start? I, I want to give you what it looks like for me. This week, we're going to put out a video of what it looks like for one of our other pastors. We want to continually resource you. You have to get with the Lord. What does this look like for you and your season of life? Here's what it looks like for me. First thing I do, and I already shared it, I find a place and a posture. For me, that same chair in the living room every morning, way earlier than I wanna wake up. I find a place and a posture. Second thing I do is I start with the word of God. I'm in a reading plan right now. I'm reading through the word of God, knowing that I'm gonna take the word of God in just a moment, and I'm gonna be silent before the Lord. I wanna have that in my head. And thirdly, I ask the Lord what he wants to say. For me, it looks like sitting up straight, putting my palms up, and literally saying, God, what do you want to say? And here's the hardest part for a guy like me. I shut up and I listen. <laughs> right, it's so easy to say, God, what do you want to say? Because here's all the things I got to say. <laughs> now, God, what do you want to say to me today? I'm remembering your word, Lord. I'm remembering how you spoke already through your word. Now, right now, Lord, what do you want me to say? And here's the fourth thing that is really, really significant. Fight for focus. Because I promise you, if you're like me, in that moment, every single thing you need to do that day comes rushing to the forefront of your mind. That to-do list, that shopping list, that conversation you gotta have with your spouse, all of that just comes rushing to the front of my mind. Why? Because there's an enemy that does not want us to be in the quiet with the Lord. So I fight for focus. Lord, help me be here. Help me be present. And help me listen. Because I really desire for you to take that stuff that's in me and make it come to the surface so I can use it as a way to have a conversation with my God. This is what silence and solitude looks like. Don't think of it as a mystical, out there, far-reaching idea. That could happen in your living room tomorrow. That could happen later tonight before you go to bed. And we pray it does because we want to be a church that practices the way of Jesus in everyday life. So God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for how you teach us. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, for every Jesus follower right now, filled up with the Holy Spirit of God, able to help us walk this out. Pray you allow us to do that by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna end our service a little different today. We wanna be doers of the word, not just hearers. 
So in some way, we're gonna practice each week together as a church. Now, obviously we cannot practice solitude in this room together. We are not away from people when there's several hundred people around you. But one of the things I thought we could do is just take a moment to practice silence. Just to give us all a glimpse of what this could look like. And, and you may realize this or not, but there's actually never moments of silence in our services at Hope. This guy right back here, David Rogers. Everyone give it up for David Rogers back here. He's an amazing friend, amazing musician, best musician I know. He's always just like serenading our prayers with his beautiful music. There's never a moment of silence even in our services. And some of you know that because you're trying to pray, but you find yourself singing along to what David's playing. Oh man, I, I was singing, I need to pray. So here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna have a moment together of silence and all the awkward and all the weird. And I just want us to feel for a moment, even in one minute, what might God start doing in you that would make you see, man, this is something I should practice. And as we do, I wanna give you a few tips. I wanna give you tips. This isn't just for right now. This is for your life. Really, really simple tips. Here's the first one. Start small. Do not say tomorrow, I'm gonna start an hour of silence and solitude. No, you are not. So we're gonna start real small right now. We're literally gonna do one minute. One minute as a church family to sit in silence. Second tip, just be consistent. What if tomorrow you set a little timer on your phone, two minutes, and you said every morning at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., whatever morning is for you, I'm gonna sit, palms up, and ask the Lord what he has to say to me for two minutes, and I'm just gonna stay consistent with it, and let me tell you what God will do in your life. So start small, be consistent. Here's the, the third one, embrace the awkward. It's gonna feel awkward. I remember the first few times I did this, it was awkward. You may not feel anything. Don't think this is gonna be like Shekinah glory the first time you try this. Embrace the awkward and realize you may not feel something. What are you doing? You're cultivating a rhythm where God could begin to speak to you. And then lastly, have accountability. This is really for all the practices, but we always wanna be doing practices in community. All, you can't obviously practice this in community together with somebody because it's silence and solitude, but who in your life knows you practice this? How are you guys helping each other get better at this rhythm? This is how we grow. This is how we train for godliness. So I'm gonna invite our pastors to come. I'm gonna sit down here and kind of model for, for you what I do. I don't know what it is you wanna do, but in just a moment, we're gonna pray. However the Lord leads you, and you're gonna sit we're gonna sit in silence and ask the Lord to speak. Holy Spirit, speak now. We need to hear from you.
Lord, thank you for these moments. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. Some of you may need to just sit there in that posture. We are going to sing a song which praise to the Lord our God. Our pastor is going to be down here as normal. I really just want us in this moment to respond however the Lord is leading you to respond. Some of you, a minute wasn't long enough. You just need to sit exactly where you are and just to continue to receive whatever the Lord has given you. Others of you want to stand and sing however you want to respond, however you feel the Lord leading you to respond. Pastors are down here. If you'd like to talk to somebody about what it looks like to follow Jesus, we'd love to have a conversation with you. God, however you're leading, we trust you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. And thank you for an opportunity to hear from the God of heaven tonight. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.